Let's do that. Hallelujah. My, 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 my. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> my, 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 my. <laughs> Woo, praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. You may be seated. Last night is one of the most unique times of ministry I can remember. It was it's it's been really very unique this entire meeting so far. Every single session, there has been a very specific move of God at a very specific time. And the Lord has moved in in a certain way specific to what's happening in that meeting, in that session. And it's been just, (laughs) it's been awesome. Physically... I got four more sessions to do spiritually. I've only got four more sessions I can do. So, (laughs) and there's a whole lot to talk about and the Lord wants to help us. And, uh, I have, I have surrendered in my spirit to the fact that what I thought was going to happen even partially is really not going to happen essentially at all, except that, of course, last night as you moved into, and I am uh, believing that you continued, uh, even after I had to leave, uh, praying as a part of that body 
whose head is on the throne. Uh, you can see how that changes everything. It changes everything. And uh, my natural mind would prefer to do what I'm being directed to do now, tonight, so that the folks who were here last night could get part two of uh, part one last night, but I'm not going to be allowed to do that. So you're going to get part two, and they'll have to catch up. Okay, and the, re the reason is because the two foundational principles in New Testament prayer is first understanding who you are in God. That's what we talked about last night. But tonight we want to talk about who God is in you. And these are two halves of the revelatory foundation that's necessary to move into prayer from a New Testament perspective. And if you will permit me, I'm just going to read a little bit. I plan on just reading a little bit from last night as introduction. And I want to hit a couple of high points in chapter 2, even though we could spend all day on chapter 2 and then go right to chapter 3 to get to this second point. Uh, so I'm reading beginning with Ephesians 1.15. Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that for this purpose, on this account, that's exactly what the Greek word means there. It is the Greek word H-I-N-A. And in order that, or denoting the purpose or the result, I'm making mention you in my prayers, and here's, it's for this cause or in order that or for this result. This is the result of what I'm expecting to happen when I pray for you. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit, the spirit. This is not intellectual. It's not intellectual. It's spiritual. It's supernatural. May give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that for this cause that you, on this account, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him on his own right hand in heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which to come. And I like to switch those around just so you, you don't miss the the, the, the point, not only in the world to come, but in this world. Because we get so forward thinking we don't live here and now. And we're always believing what God's going to do someday and we don't ever believe what he's going to do today. 
far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but in also, but also in that which is to come. And hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. And these, these next three verses tell you what we're doing here. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. If you've been quickened, everybody who hasn't been quickened is dead even while they live. It's not a matter of converting them to our doctrine and convincing them to become members of our church. They're dead. Hello? They're dead. You were dead, but you've been quickened. Everybody that hasn't been quickened is dead. And you had the quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. What is this dead condition? These next few verses clearly, specifically itemize and describe what it means to be spiritually dead. Wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, and the Greek word there for course is uh, uh, the, the spirit of the age, the culture, the society, the fashion. According to the Prince of the power of the air. The word uh, according to here means uh, to come under the authority of. To come under the influence of. According, you've, worked, you've walked according to the course of this world. According to the prince of the power of the air. The spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. That's why Paul said it this way in 2 Corinthians 4, 3. If our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them that believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ to his image of God should shine on them. They're dead. They're blind. They're spiritually dead. They're spiritually blind. Oh, but they're nice people. Nice dead people. But they're sincere. Sincerely dead. Oh, folks. We got to get this right here. Because we judge with the eyes. We judge with the mind. But we do not judge and discern. With the word and the spirit of God. The word and the spirit of God tells us their true condition. Not what we think of them as humans. Human to human. Do you understand they're not going to go to hell. Because of how they treat us. Do 
David did not pray, Lord, against people and people alone have I sinned and done this evil in their sight. He commits adultery with a woman. She gets pregnant. He has her husband killed so that he can marry her and cover his sin. And when he repents, he says, against thee and thee alone have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. People aren't going to hell because of what they do to you. They're going to hell because of what they do to God. So it doesn't matter how nice they are, kind they are. If somebody walked in here right now and wrote a check for a hundred million dollars for the pastor, the guy's not about to go to he- heaven because he just wrote a check for a hundred million dollars. Cause it doesn't matter what, what good he does or what, how kind he is to everybody or how helpful he is. If he walked in here right now and say, here's a hundred million dollars. Let's buy this building. And oh, by the way, I'll take care of everything with the government. They won't cause you any problem. Just do whatever you want. We're going to go, wow, this guy's great, great and lost. Because until he's resurrected from the spiritual dead, he's still lost. Because if we don't accept that, then we don't, we don't get the revelation of our place in this. Where any time passed, he walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation. The Greek word there for conversation is not what you say, but it's your lifestyle. It's, it's your, it's your busy self. It's how you, you go about your life. We all had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God. We read all that bad diagnosis. And then Paul says, but God, but God, who is rich in mercy, (laughs) for his, here we are, for his great love, wherewith he loved us. Next verse. Even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace you're saved, six, and hath raised us up together and made us, past tense, sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Where are you sitting today? Where are you sitting today? You're sitting on these chairs? In this room, if you're right under, uh, uh, underneath the air conditioning, you're cold. If you're a little ways away from it, you're probably a little warm right now. Right? 
Are you sitting here? Or have you accepted what the Word of God says that in Christ, I'm already sitting together in heavenly places? Uh, Brother Wright, that's really a stretch. That's hard. You know, I've, I've got aches and pains and problems and needs and pressures that all tell me here's where I am. That's right, because you haven't cast any of those on God so you can be free to live in God where he says you are. And the devil wants you weighted down to this life, to this temporal life, tied down with the the bands of worry and care and fear because of your needs in this temporal life so you can't be released to live in the spiritual dimension he's called you to. Hmm. Go back to verse 5, please. Even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. Verse 4, thank you, sorry. But God, who is rich in mercy... For his great love wherewith he loved us. Really? I talked about this a little bit on Sunday in both services. Let's read it a minute. Romans chapter 5 verse 1. I'm coming back here if you don't mind. uh, Just so you can keep that in mind. Romans chapter 5 verse (laughs) 1. Therefore being justified by faith we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Next verse, by whom also, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. That's just another way of saying that we're a part of the body of Christ. Our head is already sitting on the throne of the universe. And in Christ, we've already been made to sit together with him in heavenly places. This is just another way of saying the same thing. Verse 1 again. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. What does it mean? Justified by faith. Justification's the process. What's the product? Righteousness. In the Greek, the words just, justify, justification come from the same exact fam, root family of Greek words as right, righteous, righteousness, and just. It's all the same thing. So what cares do I need to cast more than any other care? The care about my past. I got to give my past to God. Because until I've made peace with my past, I can't make peace with the cares of my present. 
And if you try to cast and can't find peace, if you try to cast your cares and can't find peace, then rather than just being frustrated with that, what you need to do is to begin to look and see what part of your past that's still alive and hasn't become dead. Because your past was alive, which caused you to be dead in Christ. But when Christ died in your place, his choice is to kill your past so you can be resurrected and be alive. And so the first place I've got to have peace, i got to have peace with my past. And if I am justified by faith and I have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, I can cast everything going on in the present and have peace in the present and peace about my future. But if I don't have peace with my past, I'll never have peace in my present and I'll never have peace with my future. You understand why it is the adversary doesn't want you to believe you're forgiven? Doesn't want you to be at peace with your past? Because he's got to do something to tie you to this present world. He's got to do something to limit you so you don't ever find out who you are in Christ. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Next verse. By whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand. <laughs> access by faith into grace? Yes. Well, what's grace? Grace is unmerited favor. Really? That's what grace is? Oh, yeah, look it up. It says unmerited favor. No, no. Unmerited favor is the motive behind grace. It's not grace. <laughs> I'm coming back here, but we're, we're flowing. First Corinthians 15, 10. All right. Let's see how passive grace is. But by the grace of God, Paul says, I am what I am. And his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain. But I labored more abundant than they all. But who did the labor? Read it. Who did the labor? Grace did the labor. Not me. Paul said it wasn't me laboring. Grace did the laboring. And if grace is truly just unmerited favor, what is that? Unmerited favor is God's motive and reason behind what he does in us, to us, through us. Grace is what God empowers me to do that I cannot do myself. God's motive behind that is unmerited favor. I can't earn God's favor so that he will empower me to do right. If I can't accept this empowerment as a free gift I have never and will never earn, then he can't work in me. And then we go to the one you've heard before, Philippians 2.13. For it is God <laughs> which worketh, and the Greek word there for worketh is activate, cause to be operative. 
It is God which activates in you both to thelema, which is to even have a desire. I can't even take credit for the desire I have to come to church. I can't take credit for the desire I have to pray. If I desire to pray, grace is at work in me, activating in me the desire to pray. Well, then, then God's not fair because then He doesn't, He doesn't do this in others. No, no, you don't understand. He's trying to do this in everybody, but not everybody allows Him to. But it's God that activates, causes to be operative in you, both the desire to please Him and the empowerment to do that which pleases Him. He doesn't just activate in me expecting me to have the desire and then activate in me the ability to do what I desire. No. This is why salvation, no one can take credit for their salvation but the the Lord. Because He's the one that activates in me the desire to be saved if I accept that, if I respond to that, if I yield to that. And once he puts in me the desire, then he activates in me the ability to do. So we go back to 1 Corinthians 15.10 and see how much it makes with that definition. 1 Corinthians 15.10, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I. But the grace of God, which was with me. I didn't do this. I'm going to say this. You just have to do with it what you want. I know. You haven't been listening to Chester Wright for four sessions in a, in a part of a fifth. Brother Wright, that, this stuff is really amazing. How much study did you do for this? Would you believe I wasn't allowed to study for this at all? Literally. I wasn't allowed. I have not been allowed to pre-plan or even think about in advance what I was going to talk about in one session. Now you go back and see how it all fits together so perfectly and then tell me a human intellect did that. Oh, well, that's you, brother, right? (laughs) If... There's only a few that can do this, then God's a respecter of persons. Why, why, why don't more do this, Brother Wright? Because there's not many people that are willing to fail. It's trust God or fail. Because what most, what, what do most preachers do? They don't bring up plenty of backup stuff to the pulpit in case God doesn't work so that they won't be embarrassed. Do I ever bring notes to the pulpit when I'm permitted? If you've ever been where I've ministered very often, do I ever get to follow those notes? No. 
Why? I don't know you. I don't know what you woke up struggling with this morning. I don't know what you need to hear to take you into the next place God wants to take you. I don't know how to present that. We went to the best restaurant in Singapore yesterday to eat Burger King and uh, and and the pastor says you covered everything today you you talked about marriage you talked about parenting yeah if you're not paying attention it looks like I'm just wandering all over the place but if you're paying attention all that stuff sets you up to bring you right back to the point again. We go out here and, oh, we're laughing, having a big time. Boom. <laughs> and you get all relaxed. Woo, the pressure's off. Boom. Right. Yeah. That's not my method. My method is to take a nail and, and not a hammer, but a maul. Drive that thing in, then get a nail set, put that down and set the nail and then drive the nail set down flush and get me another nail set and, and just keep pounding. That's my method. The funny stuff, that's annoying. That's not me. I like to laugh, but I don't have a sense of humor. I enjoy being around people that are funny. You know, I got a son that's funny. One that, one that if he's really anointed, he's funny. The other one's funny. <laughs> I, I, and, my, and, the, and the one that has to be anointed to be funny, his eldest son is funny. He's funny. I, my dad was funny. My brother was funny. All I know to do is how to laugh at funny. So when I'm saying something you're laughing at, not me. It's not my personality. And years ago, I thought that was carnality for people to laugh while you're talking. But I realized that's like eating a good meal but taking something to drink occasionally. Uh-huh. I didn't, that's not my way. That's what I was taught to do. Now, I'm going to say it again. Unless God is a respecter of persons, this isn't something special that only a few have. This is what anybody that's willing to trust the Father can have in whatever dimension or manner he chooses to use you in that. You can have this. Mm. So we're going back to Romans chapter 5. And verse 2, oh, let's read 1 again just for the fun of it. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Next verse. By whom also we have access by faith into this, into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory. You don't stand by yourself. When the book says, take heed when you think you stand, lest you fall, if you're trusting yourself to stand, it's not if you're going to fall. It's when you're going to fall. The righteous man falls seven times and gets up again. Why? That was written in the Old Testament. Before grace. 
The law came by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus. So in the Old Testament, the righteous man fell seven times and got up again. The only reason I fall is when I consciously or subconsciously take over even for a moment. Okay, all right. The law came by Moses. Grace and truth came by Jesus. Was the humanity truly humanity? If it wasn't, the whole book's a lie. If it wasn't humanity, would you please tell me how he was tempted in every way that we are tempted? Well, then how did he not sin? Grace came by Jesus. The Lord Jesus Christ never sinned because he was the first one to experience New Testament grace. And that's why, oh, wow, we are going, okay, Holy Ghost, this is fun. This is really fun. Let's go to Second Peter chapter 1, and we'll read real quickly there. 1-1, one, one, Second Peter chapter 1, verse 1. Uh, Simon Peter, servant of, and, and a, an apostle of Jesus Christ to them which have obtained light, precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our fa- Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, next verse, just, just until I tell you to stop, just keep doing it, okay? Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of, of God and our, and of our, our Jesus our Lord. According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by thee, by these ye might be protectors of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lusts. And besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren or nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Next verse. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if ye do these things, ye shall never... Is the Bible true or not? So therefore, there's only one reason I fall. I'm still learning to walk by grace. And I let him help me. Sometimes when I want to, sometimes when I have to. But there are days without even realizing it. I get up and I got this today, Lord. I got it. I'm tired. I I just, I'm going to determine what to do today to, I, I just, I need a break, Lord, so I'm going to, I'm going, I got this today. And so my break results in me falling 
always results in me falling. Because my break says, you don't understand what I'm going through. And I can't trust you to make sure I get sufficient rest and refreshing. So I'm taking over today. Because I've got to take care of me because the implication is you're not taking care of me. Oh, yeah. I wonder why Paul said, I die daily. Because every day he got up and didn't die out to himself. His will, his flesh was a day he failed. So what's the point here? What is the point? I said it yesterday, was it morning or night? That God's not the one that's shocked when we sin. We're the ones that's shocked. And why does he let me choose to handle it myself? Because love always leaves the choice with the one receiving the love and returning that love. And if he at any points take that choice away, my relationship with him ceases to be based on love. So he never takes the choice away. So Paul said, I die daily. What he meant was, I get up today and choose to allow him to position me in him so that I'm just as dead to myself today as I was yesterday. Hear me. I'm going to make a statement to you. You need to try to remember this. Write it down. Listen to this later. Whatever. Okay? <laughs> Being crucified with Christ is not cumulative. If I die to myself today, the only benefit to that is tomorrow I have experienced the great peace, love, and joy, and strength, and help that being dead to self and alive to Christ gives me, which helps my motivation to be dead to Christ, to self and alive to Christ today. I cannot carry over whatever deadness I've got yesterday to today. Why Paul said, I die daily. Now we'll acknowledge, thankfully acknowledge, that if I'm dying every day, it's not that it becomes easier. It's that I don't have to think about it as much whether or not I'm going to die today. Because I become so committed to dying. I just get up. Not already dead. But I get up with a determination. I, I'm, 
I'm going to be dead to self today. Well, how can I do that? <laughs> oh, I, who's doing the computer? Somebody in there? You're doing really good. You really are. And I'm about to test you further. <laughs> oh, Jesus. You ready? <clears throat> First one, Hebrews 9.14. How much more shall the blood of Christ? What's that next phrase say? The flesh of Christ did not empower him to submit to crucifixion. If even Christ could not have submitted to dying without the work of the Spirit, grace... In him, empowering him to do that, we'd all still be lost. Who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God to purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Or how about Romans 8, 13. But if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye, through the Spirit, mortify the deeds of your body, you shall live. Verse 14, yeah. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Are you ready? Let's find out if you're going to be Pentecostal or apostolic. Because you can be Pentecostal and never be led of the Spirit. But you can't be apostolic unless you're led of the Spirit. Check some other English translations. I don't know what other language translations, how they put it. But here's some other English translations they said along this line. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they only are the sons of God. So if I've received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, but I'm not led of the Spirit because I won't surrender myself to the Spirit, my flesh is trying to earn my salvation by my efforts. That verse and that translation, they only, the Son of God, that's really the literal translation of the verse. You can't be a son of God if you're not led of the Spirit. You can't be led of the Spirit unless you choose to. And you can't want to choose unless you let grace empower you to want to. So when it says, previous verse if you walk in the flesh you're going to die but if ye through the spirit do mortify the deeds of the body ye shall live that's just another work of the way of saying but if grace is at work in you you'll live because that's what grace does grace empowers me to die out to myself 
How about Colossians chapter 3, verse 1? We'll read three verses there, sister, just for time's sake. Love to read more. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. That sounds like Ephesians, doesn't it? Next verse. Set your affection on things above and not on things on the earth. For ye are dead. Wait, wait, verse 1 said I've been resurrected. For ye are dead. And your life is hid with Christ and God. That means he's not asking anything of me that he didn't do first as my example. He was the son of God. We're sons of God. Hebrews 2 says we're brethren. We're brothers with Christ. That's what it says concerning his flesh. He was the son of God. We're sons of God. We're brothers with Christ. But he was our example. He's the big brother. He's the one that did all this first to show us how it's supposed to be done. And so he says in Hebrews, or excuse me, John chapter 15. No, John chapter 14, verse 12. (laughs) He that believeth on, verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me. This is apostolic, not Pentecostal. He that believeth on me. The works that I do shall he do also. And greater works than these shall he do because I go unto my Father. Notice he didn't say the words I speak shall you speak also. And greater words than I've spoken you shall speak because I go to my Father. Because if that was the case, we we Pentecostals are good talkers. We just not we just don't have much works taking place. Why? Because we're trying to do the work instead of being dead to self and letting the grace of God do the work through us. And so we get to that beautiful, beautiful, beautiful verse. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I am crucified with Christ. And what's the benefit of being crucified with Christ? I'm dead. So it's not me living. It's Christ who's doing the living through me. And the life I I, I love this. And the life which I now live, now, not in heaven, right here, the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, modern translations translate that phrase this way. That I life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. 
Amazing. Hebrew is not a precise language. It's a very emotional language. And God chose to have the precision of the law written in a very emotional language. But Greek is very precise. And it's the language of science. And that's the language he chose to write about grace. (laughs) So, (laughs) there is... There is no Greek preposition for here, sorry, here, that can be translated I in, by faith in the Son of God. It's not in there. In no, in no manuscript, ancient or modern, no Greek manuscript has a preposition that can be translated I in. But translators, while they claim to be scholars, and scholars aren't supposed to have opinions, they're supposed to let the facts determine what the position they take. It's a lie. But Scott, because scholars have preconceived ideas of what it should say. And they translated what they believe, not what the text said. The preposition in the Greek is here. This of the Son of God. In grammars called a prepositional phrase of possession. You are not changing the word of God at all. It is an alternate form in the English language. To change a prepositional phrase of possession. Take the noun and turn it into a possessive form. To say of the Son of God, the faith of the Son of God, is exactly the same statement grammatically in the English as saying the Son of God's faith. Now get this. Here's why we really want to be dead. Because if I'm dead, it's not my old struggling life I'm living today. But his life of victory, he's already conquered the world, is being lived through me. Oh, and guess what? And the, and, the, and the ministry that flows through me is not flowing through me by my faith. But the ministry that's ministering through me is the Lord's own faith ministering through me. All I am is a conduit because I'm dead to me. By the grace of God, by the Spirit of God, I'm dead to me. And there is no place where these concepts are more critical than prayer. And there's no place in Pentecost where they're least employed than prayer. And when you don't employ these in prayer, you don't employ these in the pulpit You don't employ these in your church calendar. You don't employ these in your church activities. You don't employ these in your lifestyle if you don't do this in prayer. 
It begins and ends with prayer. How you pray, why you pray, your understanding of what prayer is. Question. <laughs> Question. I am crucified with Christ. Crucified. Okay. If I'm crucified with Christ, most of us are of the opinion, apparently, that Christ crucified himself. Now, if you're really some tough customer, you might be able to lay on a cross, put one foot on top of another, put a spike on there, hold it there with one hand and drive it in with another with a mallet yourself. And if you're really, really, really a bad person in today's vernacular, you might be able to somehow hold the spike out here with this hand and reach across and hammer this spike in with this hand. But how are you going to get this hand nailed? So when he said, I'm crucified with Christ, what was he saying? It's something I cannot do for myself. I can only yield to it by the Spirit of God and grace. In other words, for me to be crucified with Christ, there has to be external agents of crucifixion that I submit to. But what do we Pentecostals do? Our Father, out of love, lets agents of crucifixion come to us. And we pray them all away. Because crucifixion hurts. And so we use prayer. Remember what they said of him? He saved others himself he cannot save. He said, don't you understand? I could could call for 10,000 angels. He chose not to save himself so that others could be saved. But we don't. We choose to pray to save us from crucifixion even if it means the world goes to hell. Yeah, that's a big sigh, isn't it? Phew, yeah. How did we get here understanding so little? We've been, we've been rebuking the devil, and it was God we were rebuking. How's that working out for you? We were, we've been rebuking the devil and the stuff he's doing in our lives, and oh, it's the devil. Working under the authority of God. He doesn't know that. He's stupid. He's always been stupid. Oh, don't talk about the devil like that. Are you kidding me? He falls for the same thing over and over again for thousands of years. Where you been? Oh, I've been going to and fro throughout the earth. What you doing? Well, you know what I do. I'm paraphrasing now. He said, well, have you, have, who said this? Have you thought about my servant Job? 
Did the devil come before the throne and say, I want to come after Job? No. The Lord says, have you considered my servant Job? And the devil says, I'm paraphrasing. I put him out of my mind. You've got a hedge around him. There's not a thing I can do. I, I got others. I, I'm not going to frustrate myself. Hello? But then he says, <laughs> and the Lord knew what he would do. Then he says, but if you let me touch him, I'll prove to you he's not serving you for nothing. He's only serving you for what he can get out of you. Because the devil believes everybody that serves God is only doing it for what they can get out of God. Because that's where he was. And that's what kicked in, got him kicked out of heaven. He went from being a, obedient to God to only what he could get from God. And that's called iniquity. And it got him kicked out. Well, what the devil didn't know was the Lord was ready to promote Job. But he couldn't promote Job because there was stuff in Job's heart that had never come out yet. And because it had never come out yet, God couldn't deal with it because Job wouldn't even be able to see it nor acknowledge it. And God knew if he promoted Job without that stuff coming out, it would destroy Job. God, what God meant for blessing would end up destroying Job. So the devil's so stupid, he's just waiting for an opportunity to embarrass God. And the Lord instigates the devil What does this button do? Well, I'll show you. I'll show you what he's doing, sir. Okay. What did the Lord do? You can do anything you want, but you can't do this, this, and this. Hello? If the devil has power, how could God limit him to do this, but you can't do this, this, and this? So he goes and does all that. You know the story. I don't have to take time with the details. The devil goes and does all that. The devil goes and does all that. No amount of spirituality could have prevented that because it was God. But God can't do evil. But man needed to be tested. And the devil's stupid enough to always, if he had known, he would not have crucified the Lord of glory. You ever heard of oops? The biggest oops ever is when the devil thought he won because he crucified Christ. And guess what? Oops. Oops. I mean, that's not what you want to hear the doctor say when he's working on you. Or the dentist. You don't want the dentist saying, oops. I don't know what they use here, but in our country, if you go into anesthesia, they give you this other stuff called verset. Or verset, verset, something like that. It's supposed to keep you from remembering stuff. The stuff happens. You're just not supposed to be able to remember it. Right? They have a hard time intubating me. I don't know. They can't get that tube down my throat right. So the first time they tried, it was a problem. Next operation, they, they had a problem. So this time, they're going, they're going to put me under first and then try to get that tube down my throat. 
The problem was they thought I was asleep and maybe I was to a degree. But I heard the doctor go, oops, when I felt that tube hit the back of my throat. And jamming around in there thinking I'm asleep, not going to remember anything. Got to force that thing down in there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, the devil must live off for said because he doesn't ever remember how stupid he was the last time. So, of course, he does all this stuff. He comes back. The Lord says, how's it going? Well, he didn't curse you. But that's because you didn't let me do enough. Really? Oh, wow. Wow. Okay. I guess I was unfair to you. You can do anything you want now. You just can't kill him. You can turn his wife against him. You can turn his body against him. You can turn his friends against him. You just can't kill him. Is that enough? Is that fair? Oh, yeah, yeah. He'll curse you this time. What was the problem? When the stuff started happening, Job says, that which I have greatly feared has come upon me. But you see, nothing had ever happened in Job's life to show that he really had fear not faith. And so the blessing of God would have destroyed him. And God could not bless him till his fear was acknowledged and repented of. So what's the problem? I need somebody to help me be crucified. Well, is that in the Bible? Uh, let's see. Maybe try 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Maybe start around verse 5. Let's see where we are there. Okay. Uh, let's go back to 4. Uh, 1. I'll read fast. It is not expedient for me, doubtless, to glory. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago, whether in the body or out of, I cannot tell, or whether out of the body I cannot tell, God knoweth. I don't know if he was alive or dead when he experienced this. Paul speaking in the third person concerning himself. No, go back, I didn't finish that verse, thank you. Such an one caught up to the third heaven. Next verse. And I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell, God knoweth. How that he was caught up into, into paradise and heard unspeakable words, not horrible words, but things he did not have the authority to relate. Which is, it, it is not lawful for a man to utter. Paul was stoned and left for dead. Get that now. The apostle Paul. The great, powerful, authority, Apostle Paul. The apostle of the Gentiles. God did not spare him from being stoned to death. And Paul doesn't know whether he actually died 
and his spirit went to heaven before it came back to earth or whether he saw this vision while he lay there unconscious because of the stoning. Paul said, I don't know which it was. But he went to heaven and he heard unspeakable words which it is not lawful for a man to utter. Next verse. Of such an one will I glory, yet of myself I will not glory, but in mine infirmities. What do we Pentecostals boast about? That's what the word glory. The Greek word doxa, D-O-X-A, the English equivalent letters, when reference to God, like I said last night, is the self-manifestation, the self-revelation of God. But when it's used of man, it's man boasting. If I'm praising God or I'm extolling God's works, I'm boasting about God. I'm glorifying God. And when God is revealing himself through his works and his manifested presence, he is boasting about himself. He's revealing himself. But for a man to boast in himself, not good. So Paul says, if I'm going to boast about anything, I'm going I'm to boast about my troubles. Yet of myself I will not glory or boast, but in my infirmities. Next verse. For though I would desire to glory, I shall not be a fool, for I will say the truth. But now I forbear, lest any man should think of me above that which he seeth me to be, or that he heareth of me. Next verse. And lest I should be exalted above measure. And begin to take the glory of God to myself. And the praises that belong to God. I begin to, to, to let people tell me how great I am. And I begin to believe that. So to keep me from being tempted to do that. Which would cost me my salvation because no flesh is going to glory in the presence of God. Nobody can take God's credit for anything and be innocent. So, lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given, I love that word give. It is the word for giving a gift. It's an act of kindness and love. Look it up. It's the Greek word didomei. It's the word for give. I love you, so I want to give you something. Oh, Paul, I love you so much, says the Lord. I'm going to give you a precious gift. What was it? A thorn in the flesh. Oh, what was this thorn in the flesh? A messenger of Satan. Now, the Greek word translated messenger there is usually translated angel. A spirit from the devil was given to me as a gift, not to be in my spirit, but to work on my flesh, put me in pain and torment and trouble and distress. Well, Paul's like us. He said, this was given to me, lest I should be exalted above measure. Next verse. For this thing. You want to pray for yourself? For this thing, I besought the Lord three times. And God answered his prayer 
No. 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 God doesn't answer my prayers. No, what you mean is God doesn't give you what you want. No is an answer. No is a very valid answer. I prayed and I didn't get an answer. Did did you get no? The apostle Paul said he, Paul prayed three times and got the same answer three times. No, no, no. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me. Next verse. And he said unto me. Here's my answer. My grace is enough. You don't need me to take this stuff away from you. You just need to receive my grace because that's enough for you to go through this so that I can allow all of this to do the work in your life that I intend for you to do so that you can be humble, stay saved, be dead, and I can use you mightily. My grace is enough for you. You don't need your troubles taken away, your problems taken away, your difficulties, your pain, your pressure. You just need my grace. Because my grace will help you and work in you to be and do all that I plan for you to be and do. In spite of your problems. Lord, you know what? I'm going to really give myself to you and work for you as soon as I get all these problems solved. Have you never read the book of Acts? Do you have any idea the culture and the spiritual and political climate that they worked in? The Lord never solved those problems. The devil did. 325 A.D., or in the 300s, when Constantine became the Roman emperor and made Christianity the state religion and banned all persecution, you'd think, well, this really helped the church. Yeah, it helped the church be lost because that started the church into the Dark Ages. What persecution could not do yet only fueled the church being made acceptable to culture Accomplished. It has destroyed the church. He said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect, complete, mature, fruitful in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, Paul said, therefore will I, will I rather glory in my infirmities. Hey, man, you won't believe what happened to me today. I broke my leg. I was diagnosed with cancer, and I and I got a bankruptcy notice on my house. Praise God! Don't be silly, brother, right? Oh, I'm not being silly. No wonder the Bible says, in everything, give thanks. Because if I believe what was taught or preached last night, and that my father is in control of everything for his body, for his children.
then I have to believe there's absolutely nothing that has, is, or will happen to me that my Father hasn't allowed for his purposes and for the good of his kingdom. And the question is, what do I want the most, my good or God's good? Because all of this is temporary, you see. Every bit of this is just temporary. Every bit of this is temporary. Eternity is forever. So Paul says, <laughs> Most gladly, therefore, will I, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. That word rest there in the Greek, it's the only time it's used in the entire Greek New Testament. And it's the word that means tabernacle. When I'm weak and I have a right attitude and I'm submitted to Christ and his power rests upon me, it becomes my tent or my covering. So Paul says, next verse, I take pleasure. Therefore, I take pleasure. Look up this Greek word. It means, if I have a choice, I prefer. It is the word that speaks of preference. If I'm going to choose to have sunshine or rain, I choose rain. If I'm going to choose between the perfect temperature, whether I'm, where I'm not cold or hot, I'm just Laodicean. I choose cold or hot, but not lukewarm. I take pleasure in all of my inabilities, infirmities, in reproaches. That's people from within the church shaming me. You can only be reproached really by those that know you. Necessities. I have needs that are not being met. Persecutions. Those that don't know me that only know that I serve Christ. They are hating me because of who I serve. Reproaches are people that attack my person. They know me and they attack my person. Persecution is people that attack my being because of who I serve. And then finally, distresses. And this word distress is akin to the word tribulations, which is thalipsis and leads, means literally pressure. Why would I prefer all this? Because these things... Are my crucifiers, my agents of crucifixion. For when I am in Jesus' name, I loose the spirit of this wisdom and revelation upon you today. For when I am weak, I'm strong. Because when I'm weak, I cannot trust my flesh. I know my flesh cannot do it myself. So I am strong because when I'm weak, I know I need 
to trust the Father, His love, and His grace. Come on, receive that right now. I spent most of my life in ministry trying to prove to God how strong I am. He spent that same period of time trying to prove to me how weak I am. Thank God, guess who won? Guess who won? Guess who won? Guess who won? He miraculously puts two ends of a ruptured tendon together, but chooses to leave all the other symptoms. My right ankle right now is twice the size of my left, and my left one's swollen. I don't even know why, but the bottom of my heels, it's like standing on knives. Couldn't he take that away? Yeah, he could. He hasn't. Why? Wait, 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 wait. If I got to choose between standing here with a hurting foot and painful heel and have this flow or be perfectly healthy and struggle, what else you want to do, Lord? You want to put me back in a wheelchair? You want me back in the boot? You're being ridiculous, brother, right? Oh, no. Thank God I'm finally old enough that I realize the only thing I have to lose is not losing. The only thing, the only thing I fear at this point in my life is not losing, not dying. Not being weak. I fear that. Because I don't know about you you all, but this stuff of mine, whoo, it's strong stuff. This flesh is strong stuff. Strong. Now, the other night, I, we looked at Philippians 3. Today we're going to look at Philippians 4. Let's try Philippians 4.10. We'll go from there and see where that takes us. Uh, uh, Let's go to 11 just for time's sake. Not that I speak in respect of want. For I have learned in whatsoever state I'm in. Therewith... To be content. You know what the word content means? Absence of any need or want. Paul said, I've learned that whatever my situation is, to have no preference for a changing. Brother Wright, this doesn't make sense. This is ridiculous. This isn't the Christianity I was taught. Oh, I know. I know you. this isn't the Christianity you were taught. That's why this Christianity is not getting the job done. If you put everybody in the 
one single room that claims any kind of apostolic in the nation of Singapore right now. I'd be shocked if it was 2,000 people. And there's how many people that live on this island? Not counting tourists? Seven million? And your religion's working so good that only at best 2,000 of them are even attending a church and claiming to be apostolic? I'm not trying to shame you. I'm not trying to embarrass you. I'm just simply trying to say the obvious. What we're doing is not working. And it's not working because we think it's biblical, but we've never looked. So what does he say? Not that I speak in respect of want. For I've learned in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content with lacking, completely lacking, lacking desire or motivation to seek for change. Next verse. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry. Both to abound and to suffer need. Matthew 5, 6. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. But John 4, 14 says, whoever drinks of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, for it shall be in him a well of water springing up unto everlasting life. What? One promise is I'll never thirst again, and the other promises blessing, happiness, to be blessed, to be envied on the person that hungers and thirsts. That doesn't make sense, does it? No, it does. Because what Paul was talking about here is, I've learned that while I'm totally at peace with all of my circumstances of life, whether I'm free or in jail, whether I'm in pain or not in pain, whether I'm being listened to or rejected, all of that's irrelevant. Because while I am Full and do not thirst for any of the temporal things of life. <laughs> At the same time, he said back in verse, in chapter three, verse seven, listen, here it is. For those things, but what, but what things were gained to me? Those I counted loss for Christ. Next verse. <laughs> yea, doubtless. And I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. For whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but excrement. That I may 
win Christ. What is this talking about? Go back to verse 7, please. Look at the tenses of the verb. Those things I counted, past tense, gain. Those I counted, those things that were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. If you're going to trust God with your present circumstances, know he's in control. And there's ever anything that's going on in your life, he's allowed to prepare you to get you where you need to be. You first got to get over your grieving over everything you had or hope to have that's gone. Because you're grieving over what you've lost, your dreams, your hopes, your plans, your purity. You can't get those back. Now you've got a choice. You can grieve over those for the rest of your life and be totally ineffective scripturally and spiritually. Or you can count those loss because of what they've done for you. They enable you to gain Christ. You know all that stuff that you, we grieve, grieve over so much? Can you answer me this question? If none of those things had ever happened to you, would you be sitting here today? The humiliations, the difficulties, the rejections, the pain, the failure, the problems that our loving Father allowed to happen to us that caused us to lose things that were gained. We're either going to grieve over them or we're going to say, hey, wait, wait. What I lost isn't worth what I gain. I've gained Christ. But that all has to do with your past. Look at the verbs in the next verse. Yea, doubtless. And I count. What tense is that? Present tense. I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them. But done. That I may win Christ. What does that mean? After I finally make peace with what I have lost, because the Lord used that to get my attention to bring me to him, I now understand how much he loves me, how much he cares about me. And so rather than hear, hear me, the devil wants to take the stuff you have lost and torment you with it and threaten you and tell you you're going to lose what you have, had, do have and what you could have. You're going to lose it all. And so as long as you're trying to not lose what you've got, you've already lost what you've lost. As long as you're trying not to lose what you've got and not lose what you could have, you've opened the door to fear. And torment. You can't have peace. 
But wait a minute. I've lost all this stuff that was important to me. But what did I get because of this loss? I got Christ. Now wait a minute. If I got Christ in this way and I, all I lost was this, what, how much Christ could I, could I win if I take everything I've got and say, Lord, I'm not going to wait for this to be taken away from me. I give it to you right now. I give you what I've got now, and I give you everything I will have, and I give it. Come on, do that right now. I give it to you, Father. What does that do? It closes the door to fear. It closes the door to torment. It allows you to move into places in God and things in the Spirit that's so powerful. Because you cannot be manipulated by fear. The adversary fears very little in this world. More than he fears the people of God not having open doors of fear in their life. So he doesn't have access to them. So he cannot torment them. And he cannot paralyze them. Yes, 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 yes. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, yes, yes. He cut a high yalarata tataha. He colorotoloroto bocorata tabahaya. Come on, we're not done yet, but we're going to take a little bit here as the Holy Ghost is ordaining it. Come on. What if I don't get to marry so-and-so? What if I don't get to have children? What if my children die? What if I lose my job? What if I get sick? What if somebody robs me on the street? What if I'm just in the wrong place at the wrong time and I get shot accidentally and killed? What if? What if? What if? What if? What if? What if? There's fear in that. There's torment in that. There's fear in it. There's torment in that. Because I can't give up what I've already lost. Because I've won Christ to a degree. I couldn't have Him. All that stuff I lost, I can't have Christ and have that too. My flesh wouldn't have ever wanted Christ like it wants Christ now without what I did lose. But hear me, hear me. It's not just what you have lost that's the problem. It's what you could lose. Come on, come on, we're not through yet. It's what you could lose. That's where all the torment is. If he can't paralyze you over the grief of what you have lost, he really wants to paralyze you over the fear of what you could lose. Fear hath torment. Fear torments. Hallelujah.
also Philippians 4 again, please. No, no, excuse me. Is it 6? No, it is 4. Philippians, duh. Philippians 4, 12 again. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry. Both to abound and to suffer need. I'm instructed. I'm instructed. By whom? By Christ. I'm instructed. I'm taught. By Christ. Both to be full and empty. Both to abound and to suffer need. I don't know how to do that, do you? I wonder if the Bible has an answer. Next verse. We take that verse so out of context. I can do all things through Christ that strengtheneth me. I can walk on water. I can turn water into wine. I can, well, I can do all things through Christ that strengtheneth me. Really? Here's the context. Let's read it again. Verse 12. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I'm instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. How do I get that done? Next verse. Yea, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. There's a, no, oh, there's a word for that. What's the word? Somebody tell me the word. Come on. Grace. That's just another way of saying grace. It's another worry, way to say grace. How can I do this? The grace of God. The grace of God enables me. I, I like that word do right there. I'm going to look it up to you and read it for you. Look it up for you and read it to you. Uh, I know what it is, but I, let's, just, let's just make absolutely 100% sure. Philippians 4, 13. Uh-huh. Okay. Okay, there it is. The Greek word there means to have or exercise force. To be strong. To be strong in body. To have power. To have power as shown by extraordinary deeds. To be able, can. <laughs> I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Here's what the word strengtheneth is in the Greek. Anybody ever heard of dunamis? The word for power? Dunamai is the Greek verb to be empowered. Right? But there's a stronger word for that. It's E-N, dunamai-u, which is <laughs> to be empowered, to have God put his power in you to do it. 
I can do all things because he's going to empower me to do this because I can't do any of that. Folks, this is, this is what prayer is. This is the concepts and understanding of prayer. I don't know which comes first, the chicken or the egg. I don't know if you have that cliche in this part of the world. I don't know which, I don't know if it's, this comes first so you can pray like this and then you can live like this or if you have to first receive the revelation of this so you can then pray like this. Maybe it's both. Maybe you start out praying so God can teach you how what you can't do so you end up having to fall upon him and be broken because you eat, the stone's going to either fall on you and grind you to powder or you're going to fall on the stone and be broken one way or the other. And then as he breaks us, then we begin to pray through grace, not ourselves. Because we're the body of Christ. Well, what does that mean? We're the conduit. We're the conduit. We're the conduit of the works of Christ, the words of Christ in the earth. We're the conduit. But while I'm all focused on me, oh, Lord. Oh, this is fun. Second Corinthians 4. I'm going to start reading it. Verse 1, read quick if you don't mind, just so there's context. Hallelujah. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry as we have received. I read this uh, yesterday, I think it was. We have received mercy. We faint not, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them to believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, of, of, glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your service for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, that shined in our hearts to give the light of the glory, the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Did you just see what happened? Now let's go back and read verse 6 again. But God who, just, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Next verse. You see that word but? That's a conjunction. What's being said in this verse is connected to what was just said. They're not independent thoughts. They don't abide alone. They're connected. One is based on the other. The lost are blind. They can't see. They can't see the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. They can't see that. They can't see the face of Jesus shining with the glory of God. So what's God's solution? <laughs> but we have this treasure. What treasure? 
the glory and the grace of God abiding in what? Earthen vessels. Look up the word earthen. And it's easily to translate in our terminology. God put this awesome treasure in old clay pots. I'm just an old clay pot. And why does he make such a differentiation between the earthen vessel and the treasure? That, on this account, for this cause, that we might know that the excellency of the power is God and not us. The truest measure of biblical spirituality that you will ever experience is the amount of gap in the difference that you see between you as the clay pot and him as the treasure. People that can't see the difference between us and themselves and God, they don't know who's doing what, are always tempted to take the credit themselves because they're not aware enough that they're just an old clay pot and that whatever's being done isn't being done by them at all. So they are the ones who are carnal and they're also the ones who steal his glory because they've never experienced enough in God to understand that all I am is just a conduit. I'm not doing any of the work. The one who lives in me, that ministers through me, he does what's done, not me. I'm just an old clay pot. Whether that's in prayer, witnessing, ministering the word, loving people that don't love me. Jesus said it this way. King James says, if you love them that love you, what thank have you? Oh, the Greek word translated thank there is the Greek word C-H-A-R-I-S, charis, which is translated in almost every place except for a few by the word grace. So when you love those that are like you, there's no grace working in your life. There's only one biblical basis for dividing the body up, body of Christ up on the earth. That's language. Because there's no such thing as a Chinese church, Filipino church, Indonesian church, Burmese church. If we can all speak the same language, 
We have no biblical basis for having our own little group where everybody's alike. Because if I can only love those that are like me, there's no grace of God working in my life. Because it's when when we who were not a people are made a people of God by God, he gets great glory in that because we don't naturally love each other. We're too different, you see. Our cultures are different. Our languages are different. Our histories are different. Yeah. (laughs) What in the world was God thinking to bring a hillbilly from Tennessee to Singapore to try to preach the gospel? Are you kidding me? If nobody ever told you, it's true. Steve Willoughby was a hillbilly from Tennessee. Huh? Well, he's honest at least. And his wife was a Hoosier. Don't ask me what that is. I don't know what it is. They don't know what a Hoosier is. That's just what you call people from Indiana. And how a hillbilly ended up with a Hoosier sent by God to Singapore. What is he thinking? What in the world is God thinking? He's thinking, what a way to demonstrate what my grace can do. A Colombian in China? The world says that's stupid. That that doesn't even make sense. And yet God sent him. Why? Because everything God does, we all have to say, wow, look at what the grace of God can do. Look what the grace of God can do. Well, I can't talk to that person. These precious Filipino ladies that work as domestics in these upscale houses and whatever, they can't talk to those people. Are you kidding me? Who better to demonstrate the grace of God? Yes. (laughs) Yes, sir. The grace of God. Don't tell the Lord who he can use you to reach. You can't relate to this, and I understand that. But my accent says I'm from the southern part of the United States. My wife was from Mississippi. That's southern United States. Where did he send us to build a church? Maryland. They're not southern. In fact... The general attitude there is, if you speak with a southern accent, you're a redneck or a hillbilly or some other ignorant person. 
You're not intelligent. You probably didn't wear shoes till you got married. That's their attitude. And I said, God, what are you doing sending me here? They all think I'm stupid because of the way I talk. Well, there was a church built. Guess who gets the credit? God gets the credit. So we're reading. Now that that was so you could have a breath. You say, that's heavy. Oh, no. No, heavy's coming. I'll let Paul get heavy. But we have this treasure in earth and vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Next verse. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. Next verse. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. Next verse. So then death worketh in us, but life in you. Next verse. We having the same spirit of faith, according as it is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. We also believe, therefore speak. Because until your flesh gets out of the way, flesh can't work, faith can't work through you. Because the tendency is to say what I want, to say what I think, rather than simply being dead to self so that I'm saying what he wants to say with his feelings, with his attitude, and not my own. Next verse. Knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus and shall present us with you. For all things are for your sakes. That the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God. I want to be in a place where I need and have surrendered to the grace of God. So that the working of that grace in me might minister grace to the others. So those that receive that grace, by that grace, will give thanksgiving to God. And my grace will be multiplied abundantly by all of those who have received grace because of grace ministering through me. But you can't do that and save yourself. Next verse. For we which cause, for which cause we faint not. What cause? To see the grace of God abundantly abounding and the thanksgiving of many redounding to the glory of God. For that cause we, we faint not. We don't, we don't lose spirit. We don't get discouraged. We don't give up. We don't quit. But through our, but though our, 
Though our outward man perish, our inward man is renewed day by day. And while your focus is on what the outward man is going through, you're depriving yourself of the opportunity for your inward man to be renewed over and over and over again. Uh, it gets better. Listen to this now. For our light affliction, <laughs> no matter how bad it feels to you, you know what the Bible says? In comparison to what he's doing now and going to do, and eternity, it's light. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us. It's at work for us. A far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Here it is. I love this verse. While we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal. But the things which are not seen are eternal. What are you looking at? What is your prayer all about? I've asked this many times. If I've asked it before here, you're about to hear it again. If God answered every prayer you've prayed in the last 30 days, how much would those answers affect eternity? Or how many of those answers would just affect your personal life and comfort and your needs and whatever. Do you pray prayers or yield yourself to be a conduit for the Lord to pray through you things that will affect eternity? Or do you only pray for temporal things and no matter what answer he gives you, it's not going to affect eternity at all. Except maybe yours, because it may put you in a place where you rely on yourself and you end up lost. So, oh, as much as I would love to keep going in Ephesians 2, it's time to wind this down. I should be through here another hour, so let's... Uh, you didn't laugh at that one, did you? Praise God. <laughs> Unfortunately, I'm probably telling you the truth, so we'll see how it goes. All right. I'm going to skip. It pains me to do so, but I'm skipping the rest of chapter 3. I want to get down to chapter 3, skipping the rest of chapter 2, and I'm getting down to 3. Verse 1, I'm going to read quickly for a while. For this cause, Paul the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles. If ye have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which is given me to you word, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore a few words, whereby when you read ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs under the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel, whereof I am made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power.
Unto me who am the least of the, uh, who am less than the least of all saints is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in Christ who created all things by Jesus uh, hath been hid in God who created all things by Jesus Christ to the intent that now under the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. Please pay, pray for me, I'm in pain. It hurts to skip through all of that because that's, that is amazing stuff I just plowed through reading. Now, Ephesians, the first three chapters of Ephesians contains two prayers that Paul prayed for the church. He prayed it specifically as recorded for the church at Ephesus. But because this is the word of God and all scriptures given by inspiration of God and is profitable, etc., it is also prayed for us. The first prayer was for us to receive the wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him so we could know who we are in him. But beginning with verse 14, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, here's what I'm asking him to do for you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. Just another way of saying, I'm praying for you. You let grace work in you. And here's what I am praying. That you will let the, the, the riches of his glory Strengthen you with might by his spirit in your inner man so these things can happen. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. I'm going to ask you Nicodemus' question. How can I get Christ in here? <laughs> Who did we say Christ was last night? The anointed Logos. So for Christ to dwell in here, Logos has got to abide in here along with the anointing of the Father. I'm praying that the grace of God will work in your life. Or put the other way, that you be strengthened with might by His Spirit in your inner man. That, so that grace would enable you to let the Logos abide in you and let the anointing which was upon the Logos, Christ, abide in and on you that Christ may dwell in your heart by faith. Ready? That. I want Christ, I'm praying that grace would work in you that Christ would dwell in your heart by faith so that ye being rooted and grounded in doctrine, in faithfulness to 
religious practices. In faithfulness to the activities of the church calendar. Not. That ye be rooted and grounded in love. And I know how some Pentecostals are. Love, 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 love. Well, just because some people don't understand it and abuse it and make it an excuse to live any way they want to, don't undo what love is. Love is God. Oh, I can't not do it. I'll be right back. First John chapter 4, verse 16. Here we go. You ready? And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. The Greek word there, know, is to know experientially. And the word believe means to put our trust in and rely on. It's not to have mental knowledge of facts and mentally assent to the fact that God, oh, God loves us. Yeah, yeah, but does he love you? Are you living in that love? Are you rooted and grounded in that love? And we have known and believed. The love that God hath to us. God is love. And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God and God in him. That doesn't sound very Pentecostal, does it? Biblical, but not very Pentecostal. Next verse. Herein, by this means... Is our love made complete, perfect, mature, fruitful, productive? Here in what? Previous verse, reading again. Here in this. And we have known. We've experienced the love of God. And we believe the love that God hath to us. Romans 5 verse 1. Therefore, being justified by faith, (laughs) we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Next verse. By whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Next verse. And not only so, but we glory, we boast in our troubles, knowing that our troubles produce work in us, patience, or that's spiritual endurance, Next verse, because patience produces experience. What experience is, I've gone through trouble. I trusted God. He saw me through. He was there with me. His grace was sufficient. So now I got experience. So what does experience produce? Hope, confident expectation that things are going to work out God's way and I'm going to be okay in God. Next verse, and hope makes not a shame. Why? Because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. And we have known and believed the love God hath to us. How have we known it experientially? Because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. I received the Holy Ghost. I've experienced the love of God. 
Now that I've experienced it, am I going to trust in it? Because First John four sixteen says that, that that this this is what this is the plan. See, we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love, and He that dwelleth in in God dwelleth in God. Uh, love dwelleth in God, and God in Him. And how do I get this love? And, 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 and how do I experience this love? The Holy Ghost is given unto me. That's the love of God. God is, the Spirit is God. God is the Spirit. God is love. Love is God. I can't separate God from love. I can't separate the Holy Ghost, the Spirit from love. So I experience His love. That causes me to trust his love because, hey, hey, trouble produces patience. Patience produces experience. Experience produces hope. Hope doesn't make a shame because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. So we receive the love. We experience the love. And as we learn to fellowship with the Lord and Him with us, then we begin to trust Him. And what does that trust do? That's the basis upon which He abides in us and we abide in Him. Next verse. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. I love this now. Okay. The word boldness there literally means confidence. And the word judgment is the Greek word K-R-I-S-I-S. What's the English word similar to that? Crisis. If you want to pass the judgment on the day of judgment, your faith has got to pass the test in crisis. And how do we have confidence in the love of God in crisis? Because we've experienced it. And that experience has caused us to learn to trust in Him and His love. And our knowledge of His love experientially and our trust in His love allows God to abide in us and us to abide in God, which gives us confidence in crisis. And as we pass the tests of crisis, we are practicing for passing the test of judgment because to make it through the judgment, I've got to have let the grace of God empower me to do what God wants me to do and the same grace that's going to be the signature of my salvation past the judgment I'm practicing that grace allowing his grace to be enough in my life so that whether I'm going through infirmities reproaches necessities persecutions or distresses I'm passing these tests because I've experienced his love and I have Faith in His love. Because. Because as He is. So are we. In this world. What is He talking about? I pray that God would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him.
that your eyes of your understanding be enlightened, that you might know what is the hope of his calling and the exceeding or the riches of the glory of his inheritance and the saints. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead, and set him in his own right hand in heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, every name in his name, not only in this world, but in that which is to come. He hath placed all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. As he is, so are we in this world. He's Christ. We're the body of Christ. What he did, we're supposed to do and do more abundantly. John fourteen twelve. He that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also. Greater works than these shall he do. Because I go to my Father. Why? Because as he is, so are we in this world. Next verse. There is no fear in love, but perfect or completed, mature, productive, fruitful love. Cast that, cast out fear. Because fear is torment, and he that feareth is not made perfect in love. You haven't matured in love if you've got fear and worry. You don't believe the Father loves you and you're not letting the Father help you love Him because you have fear and worry and torment. Because while you may have experienced His love in the baptism of the Holy Ghost, you haven't learned to trust the love of the Father. And so you visit Him at church and rarely fellowship with Him during the week because you don't abide in Him. He doesn't abide in you. Because you don't trust him. But you can. The grace of God will help you do that. <sighs> There's no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. Next verse. We love him. We love him because he first loved us. Now, that very specific scientific Greek language has about seven or eight different words for love. There are three primary of those seven or eight. One is eros, the other is filio, the other is agape. Eros is the most predominant word referencing love in classical Greek carnal literature. It's not found anywhere in the Greek New Testament. Filio is in both places. Agape is not found in classical Greek literature because the Holy Ghost brought the word into existence to define something that the, the Greek mind couldn't comprehend. Eros. Oh, yeah, it's the word, it's the root word of erotic, but it's much more fundamental than that. Eros is love that's what's in it for me. I'm only going to love if there's something in it for me. Filio is the height of human or a height of emotion. Even God filios us. But it's we can filio each other without God. Because it's human. Or it's emotional. 
It's the 50-50 marriage kind of love. I love you. You love me. I give you, I give you 50%. You give me 50%. And it doesn't cost us either, either one of us anything to be married. That old 50-50 marriage stuff is a lie. There's a lot of people like that with God. Lord, I'll give you what you're asking for, but you're going to give back to me. Let's put some seed money in the offering. Not because we got faith, but because we want something back. And they're filling up church buildings around here with that lie. It's a lie. What's the lie? The motive. That there's any way that motive is pleasing to God that I get because I'm expecting to give back in return? Are you kidding me? After all he's given me, I'm going to give something to him to get from him? Yeah, it says, if I give, he'll be given back to me. Heaped up, pressed down, shaken together, run it over. But I'm never to have the motive of giving to get. Why? Because, let me tell you about seed money. If you give in the offering today and you get blessed tomorrow, you plant it really insufficient seed and you planted it really shallow because shallow sown seeds come up quick and wither just as quickly you want to you want to produce rabbits or elephants rabbits can have multiple gestation period over the year you put two rabbits together, come back in six months, as long as they have some way to eat, you'll have a whole pen full of rabbits. But it takes an elephant two years to produce a baby. But that baby rabbit looks like a little mouse, and that baby elephant weighs 200 pounds. It all depends on what you're after. Little, shallow, insignificant or something of major importance to God. So, the word agape is totally selfless love. It is first and foremost a decision, not an emotion. Well, here's the problem. We, we read in verse 16 that God is agape. So let's read this verse from the Greek. We agape him because, or by this means, he first agaped us. So I cannot love God without first receiving his love. Because if what I do for God, is not empowered by his love that I first received. I'm trying to earn my way to heaven and trying to get the glory for myself. That's why the greatest commandment reads this way. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt agape the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. 
with all your strength. And so standing on the shore after they went fishing, after Jesus died, was buried, resurrected, and they see a man on the shore. He's got a fire going, got a meal prepared. Peter recognizes after he lets down the net and they catch this great draught of fish. Peter dives in and swims to the shore and tells the Lord, I'm not worthy. I'm not, I'm not worthy of you. And so they eat this meal that the Lord has prepared. And he says to Peter, lovest thou me? Lord, you know I love you. Lovest thou me? Lord, you know I love you. Lovest thou me? Lord, you know I love you. That's King James. Here's the Greek. Peter, do you agape me? Lord, I filio you. Yeah. Peter, do you agape me? Lord, I filio you. And then he says, Peter, do you really filio me? That broke Peter there. Well, Lord, you know all things. You know whether or not I filio you. Because Peter could only love God with what he had. He had not received agape to give back to God. John 14, 15 says, if you love, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. He said, if you agape me, keep my commandments. Because you cannot keep the commandments of God in a manner that's pleasing God unless it's empowered by agape that you first received. Because the one that first gives the agape is the one that gets the glory for all that agape does. So therefore, the second commandment is like this. Thou shalt agape your neighbor as you do yourself. You see, because of the grammatical rules of redundancy, there's a word missing in both the English and the Greek. It would be redundant to say, love your neighbor as you love yourself. So we don't say the second word the love the second time because we know that that it's redundant it's implied we don't have to say it so if it says i'm supposed to love my neighbor as i love myself and if the greek word for loving my neighbor is agape not filio then the only way i can love myself is not through filio but through agape because you see my friend the only way you'll ever know your worth in God is by receiving his agape for you. We love him because he agaped us first. We hear all about this self-worth, self-esteem, hogwash. That's ridiculous. The only way... I can determine I'm worth anything is he agaped me. For God agaped the world that he gave his only begotten son. He showed his value that he placed on me because of the motivation of his love to give himself in my place for my sins. And I have to receive that love. But once I receive that love, that love turns around and now empowers me to please him. What's the other word that describes that action? I receive his love 
and then I love him in return. I receive, yes, I receive his spirit because that's how I get his love and his spirit empowers me. So that verse right here is another definition of grace. We love him because he loved us. We receive his grace by receiving his spirit. His spirit empowering me to do what I cannot do myself is grace. So here is another verse that declares the work of grace in my life. So now <laughs> we go back to Philippians, or excuse me, Ephesians chapter four, uh, 3 and verse 15. If that's not it, we'll go from there. <sighs> No, it's, let's go down 17. Let's try 17. Okay, there it is. I'm praying for you, Paul said. That by the grace of God, the Spirit of God would work in you to strengthen you with might by His Spirit in the inner man. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. That ye may be rooted and grounded in love. Unmovable, unshakable by, by any circumstance. Next verse. That you may be able to comprehend with all saints. What is the breadth. And the length. And the depth. And the height. Of what? Of God. Who is love. What's, how do I comprehend that? I am. Because there's no limit to the depth. There's no limit to the height. There's no limit to the breadth. There's no limit to the length. He wants us to comprehend how big he is to us. The I am. The motive of the I am. It's love. Next verse. And to know the love of Christ. Again, to know experientially. Same word, if I'm not mistaken, as it was in John, 1 John 4, 16, I think. To know the love of Christ, which passeth, or the Greek word there is surpasses, is superior to knowledge. And what is the, what is the goal of all of this? That you might be filled with all the fullness of God. And what's going to happen when you get the revelation that you're a part of the body of Christ and you are in Christ. And now you get the revelation that Christ and the love of God, the spirit of God, the grace of God is in you till you become full of God. What's going to happen? Next verse. Oh. Now, 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 this is how you get to the now. This is how you get to the now. You got to first get the revelation of who we are in Christ. And then I got to get the revelation 
of who Christ is in me and the love of Christ in me and for me and the love of Christ, which is grace working through me because what is unmerited favor if it's not the love of God? And when I get these two revelations in one, the one makes me the fullness of him. Read it. Ephesians chapter 1, please. Verse 21. <sighs> oh, I'm sorry. Uh, I'll read from there. Far above all principality and power and might and dominion in every name of his name, not only in this world, but also which is to come next verse. And hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be without all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. So we're the fullness of him. But then Ephesians 3, 19 says he is the fullness in us that we might be filled with all the fullness of God. And when we get the revelation that we're the fullness of God in Christ and that he is the fullness of himself and love in us, what does that do? These two things come together and you get a big reaction. And that big reaction is now. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. But you see that comma? You see that comma? The, the sentence isn't done yet. Look at what the next verse says. Unto him be manifestation and revelation in the earth by and through the church throughout all ages. Christ the love of God, the word of God, the spirit of God, the grace of God dwelling in us individually and collectively as the church. <laughs> we can get to the place that unto him is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think according to the power that's Actively working in us. Unto him be glory, manifestation, revelation in the church, through the church, by the church, because of Jesus Christ in us. Not just here, but forever. What you and I are learning, what he's teaching us right now, what we are practicing and need to practice is how to be a part of forever. Now, remember, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but in the world which is to come. So, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus Throughout all ages, world without end. I don't know what you're a part of this for.
is to be saved. That's so far back down the road. <laughs> I, don't e- I don't even have any thought about being saved. It's not about being saved. It's like being married and living in two different houses or two different countries. I want to be married. No. So far beyond. Think about all the trouble people go through to make this, do this wedding. Little girls fantasize about their wedding day. I'm sorry, ladies. I'm just an old man. I don't mean age-wise. I mean I'm a man. And we don't get it. I'm sorry. You can't explain it to us. We don't get it. What is the big deal? I was just at a wedding. If they would have taken all the money spent on that wedding and just given it to that couple to put a down payment on a house... There's some houses they could have might have paid for for what that wedding cost. And that wedding might have lasted 20 minutes. I'm sorry. No, 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 I'm sorry. You got daughters. Don't let him, don't listen to him. Don't listen to him. Don't listen to him. You let those girls be girls. God made them like that. Just because we don't understand it doesn't mean it's wrong. Okay? Just because it doesn't make sense to us doesn't mean it's wrong. Just because she can't understand how good a whopper is every day doesn't make it wrong. Right. Right. See? It's okay for women to be women. That's what God made them to be. Men to be men. That's what God made them to be. One is not right and the other wrong. Now I'm off the subject. (laughs) The point of all this is, we're not just going through the motions to be saved. I'm participating in eternity. Have you never read what the scripture says? When the guy who had been given five talents came to the judgment and said, Lord, here's five talents. I've gained five more. And what did the Lord say to him? Well done. I'm going to make you ruler over ten cities. Why? Because you've been practicing and participating in those things that are necessary for you to know how to rule over ten cities in my kingdom. And the guy with two brings the two back and gains has gained two more. And he said, well done. I'm going to make you ruler of over four cities because you just spent all this time practicing and learning that which is necessary for you to do in ruling over four cities in my kingdom. But what we do, we just have a church. We're just preaching the same old doctrine over and over again. I love Acts 238 and the oneness of God. But if Hebrews 6, 1 and 2 says that's the foundation, aren't we ever going to get the foundation right? 
We've been working on the foundation 100 years. We don't even know what the walls and the roof are supposed to look like. <laughs> Aren't we ever going to get the foundation right? Paul said, therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on into perfection, not laying again the foundation of us from dead works, faith toward God, doctrine of baptisms, laying on hands eternal judgment, resurrection of the dead, and this we will we do if God permit. The word leave there doesn't mean abandon. It means progress from. That's what you do with the foundation. You put a foundation in. You don't pitch a tent on your slab and say, well, we've, we're done. But most churches are just shabby shacks built on a slab. Because we've spent a whole lot of time on the foundation. But we don't have a clue what the walls and the roof supposed to look like. Now, is there anybody in this room that wants the now? I want the now more than I have the ability to say. I want the now. I want to be a part of the now. I want to be a part of the now. I want to see the now. I want to participate in the now. I want to see the world experience the now. I want to see the Lord glorified, manifested, revealed in the church by Jesus Christ. Through the church by Jesus Christ. I want to see the church become the conduit whereby the glory of God, the manifestation and revelation of God can be known in the world. So the lost can know he's real. So the lost can know how great he is. I want the now. I want the now. Come on. Come on. It's time to pray. It's time to pray. I want the now. Come on. If you're here, it's not by accident. There's no way you're in this building except ordained of God. If you're watching this streamed, or you're watching this recorded, you didn't just come across this accidentally. The Spirit of God, the Word of God is calling unto you. Do you want the now? I want the now. I want the now. I want the now. I want the now now for the church that I'm the bishop of. I want the now for the county I live in, for the city I live in, for the state I live in, the country I live in. I want the now for the continent I live on. I want the now for the world I'm a part of. I want the now. I want the now. 
They're dead in sins. They're blind to the gospel. They don't have a clue what's available to them. They can't want what they don't even know is there. But I can loose the spirit of grace on them. I can speak grace on them to open their eyes. To empower them. To work in them to will and to do this good pleasure. I can bless them with the spirit of hunger and thirst after righteousness. Because I have that authority as a part of the now. I can bind the blindness off their minds and their spirits. Because I have that authority as a part of the now. I command, I can command the spiritual death to loose them and that spiritual life be released in them that they might be resurrected by the love of God, by the grace of Christ. Because I'm a part of the now. Come on. Come on. This is the now. This is the now. This is the now. Come on. This is the now. This is the now. We're not waiting on God to bring us to the now. God's waiting on us to be willing to be brought to the now. In the name of Jesus. 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 Hallelujah. 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 Itatahati ekiela rataha. Iti ekala ratatahaya. Come on. Come on. Hallelujah. 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 Come 
Hallelujah. 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 I'm asking you as respectfully as possible. Whatever you choose to do is is fine. Some of you need to stay and pray. You need to pray. God's talking to you right now. He's working in your life. Don't leave because somebody else is leaving. You need to stay. Obey God. Some of you have felt a release. That's fine. I'm about to leave here myself. Jesus' name. But hear me. Some of you, God's doing a deep work in you right now. Don't measure yourself by somebody else. Don't compare yourself with somebody else. If God is moving on you right now and working in your life, those that are leaving, I'm asking that you do absolutely as quietly as possible with absolutely the least amount of disturbance possible. Please don't talk till we get to you. Get outside these doors. I beg of you, I beg of you for your sake, for the kingdom of God's sake. Don't leave till the Lord's finished with you, please. Please don't leave till the Lord's finished with you. Come on. Till you've settled the things between you and the Lord, he's working in your life right now. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Shetie kalarata tata tahaya. Tie kalarata tata tata tahaya. Helarata tie kalarata tata tahaya. I loose the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Him. I loose the spirit of the revelation of the love of God in us, for us. And how the the love of God works through us. How the love of God manifests itself as the grace of God to empower us. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. 
Yes, 